And and we do it in an atmosphere where we're eating and it's conversation. I'm not lecturing him. And he yeah, gets to ask questions. Yeah. Why? I don't want him to get information about this stuff from some YouTuber yep. or from social media influencer. I want him to hear it from his father. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And then and after we talk, we go see Thor, the Avengers, because we're <laughs> men. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Beatitudes. Welcome to this incredible show we have here for you today. The Beatitudes is a podcast for Christian men seeking to grow in their walk with the Lord while also approaching all of life with the humor and holiness that makes us complete. My name is Jeff Shuffleby, and I'm very blessed to be here today with my co-hosts, Paul Kolker. Howdy, howdy. Nick Besner. What's going on? And our guest that we're going to dive right in and get to know is none other than the dynamic deacon himself, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me today. Absolutely. You Absolutely. had one heck of a look on your face during that uh, intro. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you guys write that? Or did, did you guys like play we the did, instruments we, and everything? I will or? say this. We did write the words, the Beatitudes. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was an intense brainstorming process. <laughs> hey, I got it. Yeah. The name of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> on brand. Uh, no, we dished it out to uh, some good musical friends and that was the first cut they came back with and that's when we knew the show was ordained yeah all right, all right. <laughs> we're like we're we all good to go yeah do you know what else we do deacon we stick people in between uh the two strongest hosts we have so that if you hear that and you want to run it's hard to get out <laughs> well i just want you to know i am not nervous being this close to this many white people at one time that's what, so we just want to i'm good Clear everything's good <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Deacon, I feel like uh, the minute that I, I saw that you were coming through North Texas, you're doing a parish mission mm -hmm. over in Irving, I think, at yes. Holy Family. Mm -hmm. I reached out to major friend of the show and f former guest, Dave Moore, and I said, dude, have I done a lot of good for you in, in my life? And he said, yeah. And I go, what about Paul and Nick? Have they done good for you? And he said, yeah. And I said, get me Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. <laughs> <laughs> Take that yes. string and pull it. Yeah, that's right. That's Je right. Jeff awesome. is real good at leveraging relationships. <laughs> Being friends with people. That's it. That's Thank it. you. I don't know the difference. <laughs> no, Deacon, uh, I've watched your work for years, listened on uh, morning shows and talk shows, and of course, I've seen you live a few times. Thank you for everything you're doing. But I think that there's plenty of people in the Beatitude Nation who uh, who don't know Deacon Harold. So yeah. maybe can you just take us back and, and give us a little bit of like, who are you and how did you get to yeah, be this guy? Sure, sure. <laughs> so um, I was born in Barbados in the West Indies. And uh, my mom was the first Catholic in our family. So she was a Methodist. Okay. Because, remember, because Barbados was a British you say remember. Colony. Yeah. Well, remember. Because <laughs> <laughs> they just recently got their independence. Yeah. You know, actually twice, once in the 60s and then again just a few years ago because they're not part okay. of the British Commonwealth anymore. Because mm. ah. even though they were independent, they're part of the British Commonwealth, just like Canada got and it. Australia. Yeah. They're part of the British Commonwealth. But yeah. so, they, so they even extracted themselves from that now. So they're completely independent. But under British control for a lot of years. So um, obviously Anglican and Methodism are the two huge religions. So my mom was Methodist. Became Catholic as a teenager um, at, because a, a girl from her school invited her to go to Mass. My mom's never been to a Catholic church in her life. And so this schoolmate invited her to go, and she went. <laughs> she told me she, she walked into the church, 
and just the beauty, like you know, like mm. everything, mm. The, the the way the the arches point, everything yeah. is pointing upward, so your whole gaze is pointing toward heaven. And she she looks, she goes, wow, I think God is here. And she goes, when they started speaking in Latin, she goes, oh, now I know God is here because they're speaking another language. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so my mom uh, became a Catholic, um, first Catholic in our family. And I'm the oldest child, so I'm the first baptized Catholic. Okay. Mm. So my mom didn't have, to, didn't have sure. to be re-baptized when sure. she came in. So I was baptized a couple weeks after I was born. And when we immigrated to the United States, uh, my mom uh, raised all of us Catholic. It was so important to her that we have a good Catholic foundation. So Catholic grade school, Catholic mm. high school, and Catholic college, and Catholic graduate school. So it's been uh, Catholic education and, and kind of steeped in the Catholic ethos has been part of my who I am for a long time. And I remember being nine years old and my mom taking us to Mass. And so there was four of us. Um, so I would be on the uh, end of the pew by the aisle. Then my mother would stand next to me, and then my siblings would be on the other side of my mom. Because they were <laughs> typical kids elbowing each other and yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. But she separated us because she saw that I was laser-focused mm, on what wow. was going on at the altar. I remember being nine thinking, there's something really cool going on up there. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and then when I got old enough to serve Mass, oh, my goodness, I thought I died and went to heaven. I loved Serving mass, I don't care what mass I had, seven o'clock in the morning or whatever. I, I I wanted to be on the altar, and I remember clearly one day, I don't, I still remember this guy Billy Miller, uh, and really? I were serving the eight o'clock because our school was right across from Christ the King, uh, Paris was right across from Christ the King School in Hillside, New Jersey. It's where I grew up, and uh, it was weekday mass, and Bill Miller and I were serving, and it was my turn to ring the bells. And I remember had my hand on the bells, and his father was elevating the host. I thought to myself. I could totally see myself doing that. Yeah, I guess mm. I, 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 I mean I, mm. I thought like I could be a priest, you know, but I like girls, you know. So, <laughs> so I said we got a problem here. What I, what do, I mean, I'm like well, the I was age like, old debate. Yeah, you know, I was like 12 or 13 or something. So, uh, I I remember going to talk to, and I'm not going to say his name, and you'll see why in a second to the pastor, and it was the most unhelpful conversation I've ever had in sure. my life mm. with a priest. Come to find out later, this guy's a pedophile. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't his type, so that's why he was kind of like pushing me off. So I wasn't discouraged. I ended up going to uh, St. Benedict's Prep uh, Preparatory School in Newark, which was run by Benedictine Monks, all boys school. Mm -hmm. And um, they had a come and see program. I said, well, let me come and see. You know, <laughs> so, so I ended up doing the program all four years of high school. And wow. so I was living in and out of the monastery. Now, back then, um, before all the child protection stuff, I was actually living in a novitiate on the fourth floor. So I was, wow. so by the time I was a senior, I was living in the monastery two weeks at a time every other month. Oh, wow. You know, so they really got to know me. I got to know them. So then I became the first person in my family ever to go to college. I got an academic scholarship to Notre Dame, went there for four years, uh, but come back and live in the monastery part-time in the summer. And then I uh, worked for a year because I figured, hey, you know, what is it like to own a car and pay bills and sure. that kind of thing? And did that for you and then joined the monastery. Okay. And I wow. thought, okay, I'm doing, since I was nine, this is what God has called me to do, mm. and I'm going to die here, and I'm never leaving. And I really enjoyed monastic life. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing about that I didn't like. Well, getting up at four in the morning. Other than that, <laughs> uh, everything was good. Uh, but And then my, my parents got divorced, um, uh, and when my dad left, I kind of took over taking care of the family with my mom since I'm the oldest. And so I was in a monastery. My mom got sick and almost died. 
And so uh, my, my, my brothers weren't that responsible at the time. And so uh, the abbot allowed me three months out of the monastery to take care of my mom mm-hmm. and my sister who was still in high school. Okay. So my mom was able to go back to work. And during the second month I was out, I was invited to a wedding and I went. Because if I was the monster, I wouldn't have been able to go. Yeah. And I went and I met the woman there who ended up being my wife. So, <laughs> but, but the interesting thing about that is that we met before okay. in college. Oh. But we didn't. So, so and this is weird. So, um, no, I, I had a law enforcement career for 23 years. And that started when I was interning for the police department as a, a, a student at Notre Dame. So, my junior year, um, my RA. Uh, was going to Pittsburgh on a, on a, I think it was a long weekend, so he was going to go to Pittsburgh to see his family. And he said, uh, his name's Ed. He goes, hey, Harold, can you watch my room? Make sure nobody goes in there. I said, Ed, I got you covered, man, no problem. Because he knew I entered for the police department. I, I, I'm going to intervene, right? So I went to work out. I came back from the gym, and I was in a, and I just had a towel. I was walking to the bathroom. I walked by Ed's door. Ed's door is cracked open and lights on. I'm like, <laughs> man, he just left. Somebody's in his room already? So I barge into the room. And there's Ed standing there, and this, this chick's on the couch. And I'm like, Ed, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, man, we brought Jose's car, and as we were driving, like, the oil light came on, and we pulled over. I looked underneath. There's oil dripping from the cars. So we turned around and came back. I said, we? And he well, you know, this is Colleen. So he introduced me to her. Okay. And they weren't dating, but her family's from Pittsburgh. He was dating a girl in her dorm. And so when she found out from the friend that yeah. he was like, I'll just hitch a ride. Yep. And so you I, met your future wife in just in a, a towel. towel. <laughs> that was a, oh, so, that's the takeaway. So when we, so when, so yeah, I know, can you believe it? So we, so when we went in the, in the wedding, so I was in Jersey in a monastery. She was temporarily living in Connecticut. But when we saw each other the next time, it was in the airport in Seattle. That's where the wedding was. And so we're, I'm getting off the plane. I'm like, who, I, I said, who is that? You know, I was like, it kind of looks familiar, but I, you know, and, and so we started talking. We figured out you're the guy in the towel. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so we, we, you know, we, we had a nice time at the wedding, came back. She was in Connecticut. I'm in New Jersey. She wanted to go on a date. I said, no, I'm a monk. I just can't. <laughs> you know, even though I'm not in the monastery right now, I, you know, she knows the situation. So I, I didn't communicate with her for that last month, went back to the monastery. My wife, my wife, my mom wasn't completely convalesced yet. Mm-hmm. So the abbot's like, you can't keep going back and forth. Why don't you just stay out until she goes back to work? And then, okay, great. So then I went on a date and <laughs> went on another one. And uh, <laughs> one thing led to another. <laughs> so I think that your superiors knew what was going on. Yeah. yeah. I think the abbot's still mad to this day. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Why did I let him go? Yeah. No, but um, yeah, but, but God knew what he was doing. I mean, um, I look back. And I was like, wait a minute, ever since I was nine, I had this desire, and now I'm fulfilling it. And what happened? And I realize now that God needed me to establish that foundation mm. in monastic life. The, my love for prayer, for praying the office, for the rosary, for adoration, for devotions, for silence, which I love. Yeah. Mm. All were fostered there. Because yeah. God said, you don't know this right now, but 30 years from now, you're going to be doing all this stuff, and I need you to have this foundation. And I draw from that. All the time mm. in everything that I'm doing. Can I ask you a question that probably comes from ignorance? Do I say that you are an oblate with the Benedictine? Oblate, yeah. Oblate? So, okay. so, and what? So, ob- it comes from the uh, Latin word oblatio, which means uh, offering. Okay. And so, uh, Dominicans, Franciscans, um, they have what they call third orders. Mm-hmm. 
And those are basically lay people and clerics who don't live um, a monastic life, but live this, the spirituality and the charism of the order in the world. Okay. Mm. And so the only difference is that Benedicts call their third orders oblates, oblates instead of third order. Just call them oblates. You know, yeah. in a few weeks we're interviewing a guy in here who's entering into the process or maybe in the middle of the in process of becoming an oblate of the yeah. Benedictine. So, yeah, so you take vows and everything, so it's, 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 cool. it's kind of cool. So I, I live that Benedictine charism and spirituality uh, in my life now outside of the monastery. So. Well, I think you were just saying you're traveling right now because this parish mission we mentioned, um, you're also about to get uh, honored at a reception at the University of Dallas as one of their distinguished alumnus. You stay with Benedictines when you travel when you can? Is there like homes that you stay at? Or how well, I can't work? stay in homes because of the oh. uh, our, our archdiocese. I can only stay in rectories with a priest okay. or a hotel or if, if there is a religious community or a retreat center, I can stay there. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. what I was getting to. It's like, is there one here that you're staying with? No, no. There's, there's not many Benedictine monasteries typically close to parishes okay. and places where I'm traveling. Mm. It. And it's just too inconvenient. So to you're like a forth, parish so. rectory on this trip. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's, no, that's the reason you had no internet till you got to our. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was where I'm staying was the former rector. Ah. Okay. So uh, the parish offices are, it, this is a house in a neighborhood, yeah. which is like yeah. liter- right across the street. So the parish offices are here. The new rectory is down the street where nuns used to live before. And now the old, you know, they just use it for guests and stuff, but they don't, Father didn't think about, oh, he needs internet connection. Oh, he needs this. He, he knew you liked silence. There was no food. There was nothing in the house. It's like, oh, kind of forgot. It's uh, no problem, Father. I'm Roll with the punches, man. You dropped a nugget in there. I had a 23-year career in law yeah, enforcement. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You so, want to expand on that one? Yeah, so, so, so at, back at Notre Dame at that time, the only people who got full academic scholarships were athletes and Ph.D. students. Mm. Um, and so... I had a scholarship, but only paid for half. So I had to pay for the other half. And so my work-study job was interning for the police department. Mm. And so I did that all four years. They offered me a full-time job after my senior year. I said, well, I'm discerning monastic life. I, I want to do this. Yeah. So I just stayed on with the department for a year. So when I left monastic life, I said, well, I, I kind of like this police thing. So let me get back into it. And so I did, became a detective, um, drugs and vice in, in Jersey. And then my wife, um, she was, remember, she's from Oregon, but she was living temporarily in Connecticut, just kind of figuring out what, because that's kind of where the family was at the time. And um, she wanted to figure out what to do with her life yeah. next, what's her next steps. And so she said, I'm going to go to graduate school and then go back to Oregon. I said, bye. Because <laughs> 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 you know, I never imagined in my life living any place but the East Coast. Because, you know, if you're from Jersey, Philadelphia is the West Coast, yeah. as far as we're concerned, <laughs> you know. And so she left and I stayed. And plus, I'm in the middle of a case. You just can't up. In the, I'm, in, I'm embedded in this, in this yeah. drug thing, so I just can't leave. Sure. And so once that case resolved itself several months later, I did go out to California. She was at uh, the University of Santa Clara doing graduate studies in psychology. And um, I was in a monastery there, not to join that community, but to discern, should I go back to Newark or should I get married? Because I never thought I'd ever be married. It never mm, yeah. crossed my mind. It was never part of, you know, my thinking. And so I was there for six months. And a very wonderful community there in uh, Portola Valley near uh, Palo Alto, California, Woodside Priory. And um, they let me pray with them and live the life there in spiritual direction, adoration. And after six months, I said, yeah, I'm supposed to be married. I, mm. you know, I said, okay, Lord. All right. Okay. So I <laughs> so went got married. She finished graduate school. 
She did an externship at San Jose State, then we moved to Oregon, which is where she always wanted to go. Yeah. And she goes, okay, I know this is a little bit of a, a shock adjustment for you. Let's give it a few years, and if you don't like it, we'll figure out what to do next. Okay, great. So we get to Oregon in 95, and, uh, and you know, I immerse myself into parish life. You know, I, I, I'm parish council, and I'm on St. Vincent de Paul, and I'm lectured and altar serving and doing all this stuff, and it wasn't enough. And uh, I never saw a permanent deacon before because the only deacons I knew were guys in the seminary going sure. to become priests. On their way, yeah, yeah. the next so, step. So he, now here's something that's weird. So 95, we, August of 95, we moved to Oregon. Now the first Easter vigil is spring, like April of 96. So I don't really know everybody in the parish yet. They're less than a year. So the Gloria, Easter vigil mass, the Gloria, the, you know, the bells are ringing, oh, the yeah. lights come on, you blow the candles out. And I heard very distinctly a male voice during the glory say, Deacon. And I thought my first thought was, how rude. I mean, we're singing the glory of some guys yelling for a dude named Deacon. So I thought Deacon Jones, like, you know, there was someone in the parish named Deacon. Yeah. I'm like, God, that's rude. So I'm looking around like, see, who was that yelling? And I'm looking around and everybody's singing. My wife's, I'm like, did anybody else not hear that except for me? Yeah. I said, what is going on here? So I, I, I kind of put in the back of my mind, and after Mass, I went to Father Nicholas. I said, Father, who's deacon? Because I thought it was so, he goes, He looked at me and goes, you'd be a great deacon. I'm like, whoa, 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 Father, wait, wait, time out, time the, out. The what Lord you, set you up. Yeah, I said, what are you talking about? I, so now I'm confused. I'm thinking there's someone named Deacon. He said, I could be a deacon. I said, well, I can't be a deacon. I'm married. Now, he's from Tanzania. At that time, he had a very heavy ac African accent. He said, Permanent deacon. Now, I didn't understand because I've never heard that term before. Yeah. I said, what are you talking about? So he goes into the sacristy. He gets the documents of Vatican II. He opens up Lumen Gentium, paragraph 29. Read that. Wow. At the lowest end of the hierarchy is the deacon. And I read that paragraph. I was like, oh, my goodness, that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> wow. I was like, I, I, so I was like cool. that's it. That's what I'm supposed to do. And so um, I called and applied, and I was accepted into the program at 30 years old, which is very young. Very rare. Uh, yeah, very rare, because of my, because of my monastic background and law enforcement background, they felt there was a spiritual maturity there that you know lent itself yeah. to. Um, and so uh, there was no class that year, so uh, 30, so the next year was the next class, 1997, I was 31 years old, um, did five years, and which included at that time, uh, University of Dallas, because we have to get master's degrees. We're one of the few dioceses that requires a master's degree for the diaconate. And at that time, they were using the University of Dallas IRPS program, the Institute for Religious and Pastoral Studies. Mm. And that's when they flew the professors to the sites. So there was a there was a site in Denver. There was an in Omaha. There was one in Wisconsin. There's one in Oregon. Oh, And so I went to, so we have Father Mitch Packwood, Janet Smith, Marshall D'Ambrosio, Ed Peters wow. for Canon Law, Dr. Mark Lowry for Ethics and Moral Theology. I mean, it was just like we had these all rock stars. stars. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> it was, and I was like depressed when the class was school was over. Like, we have to stop now. <laughs> it, was, it was just so awesome. So graduated from there in 2000 and then was ordained in 2002, November 23rd, 2002. I just turned 36. So I was the youngest deacon ever ordained in history of the diocese. Um, young family, I mean, when, when we started the program, we had no kids. Yeah. 
And we had two kids by the time we finished, and my wife was pregnant with twins at ordination. Wow. So, yeah. That's a so, good year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so when I moved to Oregon, I was working in law enforcement for the school, a school district in uh, Oregon, and then I got the job as police chief at the University of Portland in 2001. And so um, awesome. I did that all the way to 2012 when I left to do this full time. Okay. Wow. The first time I ever heard you was a syndicated morning show on EWTN radio uh, that would, no, it was before that. You, you would make appearances on everything, but that's yeah. when I would hear you regularly almost every single morning on that's my drive. Right. So talk about that transition. You yeah. Did you retire? You just no, exited? Okay. You said, here we go, God, help me to pay the bills with speaking? Like, what all right. So, So Father Mitch Pacwa uh, taught all of our scripture classes at UD at that time and also learned Greek and Hebrew from him. Wow. So... And I was, uh, he, he, he always says this. He, he thinks he's, a, he's one of my best students. And, and I was a research assistant for him. And uh, so we became friends. Hmm. And so um, another guy in my class, he wasn't in the diaconate class, just in the graduate studies class at the time, was Carl Olson. And Carl um, is an author for Ignatius Press, and he edits um, the Ignatius Insight, their online blog, and uh, homiletics and pastoral review. So Carl was like, really sharp guy. Uh, wonder, uh, will Catholics be left behind? The Da Vinci hoax. Yep. And that, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's Carl. Carl's a great, good, good friend of mine. So Carl's like, hey, man, because there were four of us that graduated with 3.9 and greater GPA. So the four of us were, were pretty close. Carl said, hey, you should come down and give a talk at my parish. I'm like, a talk at your parish? <laughs> like, Because right around, I'm doing my cop thing. So what happened is in 9-11, at the time I got the job as chief, I was the youngest Division One size school police chief in the country. And so I reached the pinnacle of my career at a very young age. Um, and during 9-11, I was the president of the Western Association of Campus Law Enforcement Administrators. So after 9-11, they sent, the International Association sent all the regional, president, uh, regional presidents to FLETC, which is the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Glencoe, Georgia. That was my first exposure to threat assessment post 9-11. And so I really enjoyed that work. And so I was sent to Quantico, to train with uh, FBI, Secret Service, U.S. Marshals, Naval Intelligence on advanced techniques in threat assessment, contemporary threat assessment. So then I came back to Oregon and I started teaching at the police academy, contemporary threat assessment methodology, teaching police officers and first responders how to identify and respond to threats of terrorism. And I was also doing training pod insertion teams. So you had, so the problem is like what happened in Uvalde, I, that just drove me insane. I mean, because what happens is, these officers show up, so there's a shooting going on. Officer shows up, you have a county guy, you have a city guy, you have another municipality. They can't talk to each other because they're on different radio systems, so they can't communicate. And then street officers are always trained to think, okay, I show up to this scene, I have to wait for IC, or sorry, incident command to show up to tell me what to do. Yeah. Meanwhile, people are being killed. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 that, that ain't happening. So, so what I did was I started training pod and search teams. So you have one, two, the first three guys, four guys that show up, bam, you form a pod, bam, you're in the building. So they can't communicate, so we used hand signals. So we used that from Navy, Navy SEALs. Sure. Hand signaling. Mm. So we have a, you have a, a, a lead guy on point. Side cover, rear cover, and the guy in the middle tapping what's direction to go. And as we're clearing the building, if there's a body, we clear it, EMS pulls the person out. Then we can, And the whole thing is to neutralize the threat. That's the whole thing. Sure. So I would train 
officers and those and, and have this. That's what I was doing. I wasn't talking anything about the Catholic faith or nothing. Yeah, pretty standard preparation for the diaconate. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I think this whole thing, like, you're known as the dynamic deacon. Well, I thought it was about your speaking. It's about your well, ability to go and... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the speaking... Getting on stage, this is nothing. Yeah. Like, goodness. Well, the speaking, I think, came because cops hate sitting in class. Yeah. They want to go mm. out and do stuff. Yeah. But I'm teaching a class that's going to, I'm teaching them techniques that's going to help literally save people's lives. And they don't want to be there. And I know that. So how do I get this information across in a way that's interesting, engaging, compelling, but at the same time, they're getting information. Okay, I could use this tactically in the field. And so, so I think my style developed from what if I were sitting out there, how yeah. would I want to receive this information? That's awesome. You know, and that, I think that's where the style came from. So with the Lord, they took the style and the theological training and smashed them together and said, I need you. So so Carl so Carl invited me to, to speak at his parish. And I said, oh, speak on what? He goes, well, you wrote that one paper on male spirituality. Why don't you talk about that? I'm like, yeah, all right. So I literally went to the parish and read my paper. <laughs> I, I read, I'm like, what Good. am I? I don't know, right? Good talk. And so the pastor liked the talk and invited me to come back to do something else. I'm like, on what? I mean, you know, so I went and talked about marriage and family life. And because um, I, I wrote a paper on that, but I, I said, okay, I better not read it this time. So I, you know. <laughs> and so uh, the second time, some of the Catholic radio station was there and they said, oh, we should do something for us on the radio. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about radio. What he goes, no, no, just come to the station. So I came to the station, we talked, and I did this 30 minute show called Faith and Life. How do you connect your faith to your life every day? A little 30 minute pre tape show. So Jerry Usher, who was the host of Catholic Answers Live back then, yep. came to the station to help raise money. He heard my little show. He goes, oh, we should have you on Catholic Answers Live. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> hold on. I said, there's no way I could be on a show like that. I'm some schmo from Jersey. I'm like, I don't know anything about anything. I said, no. he goes, no, 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 I like what you're saying here. You should, oh, okay, what do you want me to talk about? We'll talk about this men's stuff. Oh, okay. So I did this show um, on male spirituality. So I didn't know how all this worked, right? So Father Mitch hears me. On Catholic Answers Live, he calls me and goes, how come you're on Jerry's show, you're not on mine? <laughs> uh, I don't know, Father. So he invited me to be on EWTN Live. I've never been to EWTN before, so I was excited. I get to see the network. I get to see Father wow. Mitch, and this is exciting. And, and so I do the show, and I go back to my life, and all of a sudden these emails start coming from Malta and Tanzania and the Philippines. And I'm like, what did I say? Because I don't, I, don't, I don't watch myself. I don't yeah. watch myself and yeah. listen to myself. What did I say? And so a week later, Doug Keck, who was executive vice president of EW10 at that time, he's president now, he called me and said, man, we're getting a tremendous response to your appearance with Father Mitch. Do you, you think you could turn that into 13 episodes? <laughs> I said, I think so. <laughs> so, so I'm Why like, how, how do I, this, this paper, how do I turn this into a thing? So, I said, okay. So that's why I started thinking about, okay, how do I logically structure this to make it flow? And how, how does yeah. the next episode build on when it came before it? So I ended up doing like the 68-page outline. Wow. Um, so I just sent them like, you know, just the basic outline. I sent that in. And it goes, what do you think? They said, oh, yeah, we love it. Come down and film. So now I'm down there filming. And I have to learn. I don't know. I've never been on a set before. So I have to learn how to block and hand signals and all this kind of stuff. So we do the 13 episodes. And uh, so they never had anybody like me on before as, you know, oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not charismatic in that, in that sense, but I, I I'm passionate because I love 
my faith and I love right? I've seen you own an entire stage, the entire square footage of a stage before. So, <laughs> yes. So, but the, you know, back then either Tim was just talking heads, you know? And so unbeknownst to me, what happened was they had, you know, they have tours that go through, but when you're filming, they don't allow the tours to go through the studio. So they were curious. So they, they allowed, they allowed the people that were on tour into the, um, uh, into the studio where the director is, no. into the thing. And so he stood, Doug Heck stood back and watched the people's reaction yeah. to what I was doing. He just looked around and looked at faces, and he saw people were dying. He goes, okay, we got something here. Because I think they were a little nervous because my style is like that typical <laughs> EWTN style. And so um, they approached me about doing another series. I said, we just finished this one. He said, oh, start thinking about doing something else for us. I said, okay. And so, so it kind of built from there. Wow. Still... Never thinking of leaving my career. This was a nice side gig, mm-hmm. you know? And my boss at the university was a, a parishioner in my parish. So he loved the fact that he had this balance. Sure. It was great. Really cool. But what everything changed is when um, I was in adoration in 2011. And uh, I, was, I was praying that the Lord said to me internally, um, I need you to do a different type of threat assessment for souls. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> no. <laughs> the Lord said, yes. I said, no. The Lord said, yes. And I said, look, Lord, I'm very comfortable where I am right now because I have my job. I was doing the teaching at the academy. I was doing the trainings. And uh, I had a consulting company because I was being asked to do what's called uh, target hardening for corporations and school districts and universities. I would go and evaluate their processes, procedures, and methods to make them harder targets against violence and terrorism. Yeah. I said, I'm very calm. He goes, they directed my gaze to a crucifix in that chapel. He goes, if you want to take a relationship with me to the next level, you have to get uncomfortable. I said, oh, no, here we go. <laughs> you know, so, um, and I ignored it. I said, ah, oh, this will just go away. He'll just forget about it. Let me keep doing my thing. Then a couple things happened. Uh, my boss had a stroke, okay. had to retire early. Mm-hmm. And a- another individual was brought in who... Um, Let's just say we didn't see eye to eye on things. And I went back home and I talked to my wife and I said, um, uh, uh, and she goes, how'd it go with the new guys? Like, well, the arrangement that we had, I think is, is, is going to end. It's going to go away. She goes, what are you going to do? I said, well, you know, the Lord is, I think has been calling me to maybe speak and write full time. She goes, you're not leaving your job. How much money you make. <laughs> We've got kids at Catholic school. We have a mortgage. What are you thinking? I said, well, hon, I, I'm not saying I'm going to leave the job and to figure out what God wants me to do. She said, what God wants you to do is keep your job. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay. That's right. So I will tell you. <laughs> yeah, so a year goes by, and I'm doing some serious discernment, and the whole time I'm trying to talk God out of it. Yeah. Like literally trying to talk him out. Every blockade I put up, the Lord opened another door. So mm. the peop- I went to people who I knew would tell me, don't do it, and all of them told me do it. What's going on here? My my plan's backfiring. So eventually, um, uh, I I got backed into a corner, basically, and um, had to make a decision. And uh, everything was pointing to leave, and I I still couldn't do it. I knew knew in my heart and my mind I'm supposed to do it, but I still couldn't pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to think about something. It's another thing to actually do it. So I went and talked to my wife, and she said, and we talked for two and a half hours. At, 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 no, at, I took her to dinner, two and a half hours. And she said, you know, God is calling you to do this. This is a year later now. God is calling you to do this. And after all, God's in charge of finances. We should do it. Yeah. Wow. Not you should do it. We yeah. should do it. 
And right then, I had a feeling of peace. I had a feeling of tranquility. Every ounce of fear and doubt was gone. I said, okay, let's do this. Yes. I wrote a resignation letter that night because I, because I knew from that point forward, she would love me. She would stand by me. She would support me. Her love gave me the courage to follow God's will. Wrote a resignation letter, started the process of selling my practice. And then on June 30th, 2012, the end of the fiscal year, I walked away from 23-year career. Wow. And July 1st, I sat in my office and said, Ooh, okay, Lord, now what? <laughs> it's on you now. I did my part, you know. And the journey has just been, I mean, I'm doing stuff and going places that I never in my wildest dreams yeah. that I ever think I'd be doing the stuff that I'm doing now. Never even crossed my mind. When people want it. And I think just if I could interject here for a second, we have uh, yet to raise the money to pay our guests, but we do pay in socks. And so we wanted to give you <laughs> a pair of St. Augustine socks that you can wear because your dynamic deacon, Holy Spirit working through you is so similar to the way that St. Augustine was able to galvanize the world with his teachings and with his fiery talk. So these are brought to you all by right, Sock Religious. And all the Beatitudes can get their own socks at SockReligious.com slash Beatitudes. There's your payment. The team at Aquinas Wealth Advisors believes that good values and good returns are not mutually exclusive. Using a tech-smart and morally sound approach, they provide investment alternatives that align with Catholic teachings without sacrificing returns. These days, faith-driven investors are finding it hard to know where their money is going. They have no visibility into what their dollars are supporting, but there's a better way. Thanks to the faith and finance score from Aquinas Wealth Advisors, you can look into your current holdings to see what you're supporting and make a switch to an advisor that aligns with your values and gives power to your voice. Check out AquinasWealth.com today. Hey y'all, this is Jeff Shufflebein. When Nick and I set out to start our new company, Undivided Life, we were really concerned about how would we cover the healthcare needs of our growing families. And we were so excited to find a company that fit both our medical needs and our faith beliefs perfectly. It's called Solidarity HealthShare. It is an ethical alternative to traditional health insurance. We're never part of sharing in the medical costs of anything that goes against the teachings of the Catholic Church making it a great alternative for Catholics and Christians alike. Solidarity is very affordable, which is perfect for a large family or for a new and growing business like the one we've started. So visit joinsolidarity.com today so that you can get started with us. Hi, it's Paul Kolker from the Beatitudes here, and I just wanted to share with you guys that I also, outside of the show, perform improv comedy on a regular basis with a group called Divine Comedy. So what we do is we come up with everything on the spot, so whether you're looking for faith-filled, fun, family-friendly comedy for your youth night, or whether you're looking for clean comedy for your corporate event, Divine Comedy can perform for your group and even get you in on the action. So if you'd like to hire us to come out and perform for your next event, check out DivineComedyImprov.com. Divine Comedy, an inferno of fun. Like, What is this thing around male spirituality and masculinity in the church? Can you kind of dive into yeah, that a little so, bit Yeah, so um, when my dad left, and so I, and that, there was a point I didn't talk to him for 18 years. That's a whole other story. All right. Um, so I thought I was going to be a father. Because in, in the monastery, you don't have to deal with the repercussions of divorce. I mean, 
and, and, and I didn't really think about how the divorce affected me. Yeah. Oh, well, all four of us, actually, all four of us kids. So my father has like 15 other kids from other women. I mean, it's a whole, whole mess. But for the four of us with my, with my mom, um, you know, I had to think about how this divorce is going to affect. Because I didn't have to think about because I'm in a monastery. I had to think about divorce because I'm never getting married. So what's the big deal? Mm. But now I'm in this relationship. Um, and when we were in California, when I was in the monastery discerning because I was like, I was scared. I said, I don't want to end up like my parents. So when things were getting serious with Colleen, I was like, uh-oh, yeah. I, maybe I should go back. I, got, I, I started getting scared. Um, and because when I describe, when, when young people ask me, what is it like to be a child of divorce? I tell them, I said, look, marriage is a beautiful thing. It really is. But it's also the cross. And divorce is when the parents put the cross down and the kids pick it up. Mm. You know, I, and I didn't, I didn't want to be there in my oh. relationship, you know? So, um, yeah. So, so in thinking about now I'm a husband, if I was like, what? so my first thing was, what do I do? I, I said, well, just do everything the opposite of my dad. Okay. <laughs> that, that's a band aid, but that's not really good enough. Sure. So I had to understand what it meant to be a, a, a father man. So, and I'm trying to look at resources from the church and there's none. I said, wait a minute, this, this got to be a mistake here. I mean, because John Paul II is my hero, St. John Paul II, Mulieris Dignitatem, Dignity Vocation of Women, Letter to Women. Um, the only thing I saw for men, uh, Quam Quam Pluris, um, uh, which is Leo Thirteenth, and then 100 years later, John Paul II wrote Redemptoris Custos, Garnered the Redeemer, on St. Joseph, because it's a 100-year anniversary of, of uh, Redem uh, Quam Quam Pluris. So he wrote... Uh, you know, a hundred year reflection on St. Joe. Okay. St. Joseph, fine, yep. but not male spirituality. Sure. Femeris Consortio, his document on family life had stuff about fatherhood, but not, okay, well, where's the theology that underpins what it means to be an authentically Catholic man? I saw Protestants had tons of stuff yep. for men, but nothing rooted in the sacraments and nothing rooted in the cross and the crucifix and the crucifix. Mm. So I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So what I thought then when I was putting the series together for EWTN, I thought, okay, I love John Paul II. He has an incredible anthropology. Let me take his anthropological approach to, to man and, and, and what he, how he formed it with women and use that same thinking for men and combine that with St. Paul's theology of the cross, right? Because yeah. we have crucifixes as Catholics, right? Because And we don't just keep Jesus on the cross. Uh, duh, we know he's ascended and sitting at the right hand of the Father. We say it every week in decree. We know that. <laughs> but most of life is the cross. Remember yeah. Psalm 90, uh, our span, Moses, the Psalm written by Moses, our span is 70 years or 80 for those who are strong. And most of these are emptiness and pain. Yeah. They pass swiftly and we are gone, right? So we only got one shot at this thing, right? And, and so... Uh, and so we, we have Jesus on the cross to remind us that most of life is this, is the crucifix, is suffering. Um, so Paul says, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. I want to know nothing, Paul says, except the cross of Jesus Christ. And in Galatians, I've, is, um, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I, I took John Paul II's anthropology, Paul's theology of the cross, and developed a theology of male spirituality yeah. from that. So that's a book how that on this, became. right? You wrote a book. Yeah. On this. So I wrote. So what, how the book came about was I had the series with EWTN. So when I left my job in 2012, of course, what do you do? You put on social media. Hey, I left my job. So Mark Brumley, who's the president of uh, uh, of Ignatius Press, was also an adjunct professor at UD at that time. Mm. So he taught us our John Paul II class. 
So he goes, hey, Deacon, I saw you left your job. You you got time to write a book for us now? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I guess this is what I do now. But I never thought about writing a book. Yeah. Authors are like, I was like, I'm in awe of authors sure. who write books. I'm never thinking that's me. I'm a speaker. <laughs> you know, so I flew down to San Francisco and we talked with their team and and the, I, the, the male spirituality floated to the top. I said, I don't think I've ever seen a book that actually look, I mean, there's books, Catholic books on fatherhood mm. and celibacy and priesthood and uh, theology of the body, different aspects of male spirituality. But what is the theology that underpins all of that? Yeah. You know, so that's what I try to do in the book, to give a proper Catholic theological understanding of what it means to be an authentically Catholic man. And, and, and that, so the book went from a 68-page script to a 300-page book. What's the name of that book? Behold the Man. Behold a, the a, Man. A Catholic Great Vision title. of Male Spirituality. Yeah. You have how many books now? Six. All right. Well, I know. It's just crazy. <laughs> I, I, I say it. I'm like, thanks. You I know, mean, most, people, most people have a corporate ladder, but you have like a corporate escalator. It's in your, <laughs> God has just lifted you straight up. That's well, awesome. that's the thing. I mean, when you completely abandon yourself to his will, because I said, look, I I, 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 I tell you something interesting. One of the guys in law enforcement, when I was making a decision, goes, look, at least keep the consulting company. Because I get give up everything else, but at least keep, because if things get soft, you got something to fall back on. I said, hey, let me go pray about it. I went to adoration and literally, literally, before my knees hit the kneeler, the scripture jumped into my head. Once you put your hand on the plow mm. and you look back to see what was left behind, you are not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. I said, got my answer. Got it. <laughs> I need to cut everything because once you cut everything and just give it over to God, God's okay, now I can use you. Because yeah. now you're empty, now I'm going to fill you. It's not you, it's me. You're mm. just, remember, I, I, I say this all the time, I'm just the instrument, God's the musician. So I'm what I'm trying to be is a finely tuned instrument in God's hands. That's all I'm doing. I love it, Deacon. Hey, uh, we're going to, in the bonus show, I'm teasing this out for anybody. The new book you have coming out, what is it called? Building a Civilization of Love, a Catholic Response to Racism. A Catholic Response to Racism. Wow. So if this hasn't fired you up enough, come <laughs> come back on Friday for the bonus. Deacon, every Monday show that we do, we end it differently than any other show. We jokingly call it Reverse Simpsons. For you, we want to do something called the lightning round of pastoral parenting questions. So we're going to ask you six questions. We just want your gut quick reactions to each of these. That sound like a fun way to finish? Yeah, sure. Oh my goodness. This has been awesome. I actually want to do like 10 shows. Can I have 13 shows with you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Deacon, it's going to go one, two, three around the horn. We're just going right. to ask you, what is a life lesson your mom or dad taught you that you remember and recall to this day? Oh, my mom is the meaning of sacrifice. I mean, she was a cardiac care nurse and she would go to work. Uh, she worked the graveyard shift 11 to seven. Mm -hmm. If she wasn't working overtime, even more than that. But she went to, to, to work with holes in her shoes and runs in her stockings because we needed stuff. Yeah. So I saw the meaning of love and sacrifice from my mom. Absolutely. That's a big lesson I, I take Beautiful. to this day. Yeah. All right. Um, what is one way you show your wife how much she means to you? Oh, I, I buy her stuff. <laughs> uh, because I, I, I'm not a very touchy-feely, huggy kind of guy, but my wife craves attention. You know, Houston, we have a problem, you know? <laughs> so I, so I get flat. So I, I just try to be very thoughtful flowers, candy things to, nice. sh to show her that, you know, that's normally not my thing, but I have to go outside of myself to make sure I'm meeting her needs. That's her love. Language. And she loves, that's her love language. Yeah. So she loves getting it. So, so I, I get her. In fact, you know, because I got a gazillion miles, like she's a runner. 
So I flew her to Paris so she can run the Paris Marathon. Oh this, this my God. I was about to say, you just made three women really excited. Then you dropped that bomb on us. And now you made three <laughs> men very nervous. Yes. <laughs> and she didn't fly and she didn't fly coach, by the way. I so. need more money. Because miles. I've, I've, I mean, because, yeah, I travel 250,000 miles a year, right? So Woo-hoo. I can, yeah, so That'll stuff like it. that. I flew to Hawaii and stuff. So, yeah. So. You can gift miles, right? No. I'm yeah, I do. Actually, we I do a gift show to some. Paris. We will yeah, do this yeah. in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> Only first there's class. A, there's a, there's a, uh, an, an NGO, non governmental organization, mm-hmm. started by a nurse in my parish, beautiful woman of faith, um, who, who uh, sets up nursing clinics and uh, uh, remote hospitals in mm. um, very, very poor places in Haiti yeah. and in Tanzania. Wow. And so I gift miles. Uh, to them so they can continue to do the sure. work that is that awesome doing. Deacon yeah. I did my honeymoon in Tanzania so I would love to go oh, back and check wow, out one of those really? hospitals with my wife on first class <laughs> <laughs> ask and you shall receive yeah. be specific in your prayer I'll tell you some <laughs> stories after the show about running from elephants but uh, we got our wow. next question for you yeah, yeah. next one up is uh, <clears throat> what is your advice to dads with young kids in the house yeah, so the, the best thing you do is by your witness and example. You could tell kids all day long, come to church, do that. That's great, but they need to see you living mm. and witnessing your faith. They need to see you praying. I remember once I was praying because I try to find some time myself to pray the office. I do the whole office every day because oh. um, the deacon is supposed to do the hinge hours, morning and evening prayer, but I do the whole thing because like, as a monk and like I'm used to it. <laughs> so And the kids would come in, and I wouldn't kick them out. I would, they would sit there and just watch me pray the liturgy of the hours. Cool. And they'd sit there for like five, ten minutes, and then leave. And that's okay. But I want them to see me, right? Mm-hmm. And you lead, you're the priest in the house, you lead your family in prayer. Not just bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. I mean, pray with your, with your family. That's yeah. so important. Beautiful. Amen. A little bit of growing up here, what is the advice you give to dads trying to raise teenage boys? Uh, guys night out. Yeah, because what I did, I didn't know what to do when my when my son became a teenager, mm. so I I made up something called Guys Night Out. So we go and he he loves chicken wings, so we go to a wing place. We have wings and some fries and just talk about yeah. stuff. You know, son, they're trying to tell you that boys can be girls and girls can be boys. That's a lie, son. Let me tell you the truth, son. They're trying to tell you that a child in the womb is a blob of tissue, not a person. That's a lie, son. Let me tell you the truth, son. They're trying to tell you old people are worthless. If you're old and you're sick, you're you know, you should just die. That's a lie. So let me tell you the truth. And and we do it in an atmosphere where we're eating and it's conversation. I'm not lecturing him. And he yeah, gets to ask questions. Yeah. Why? I don't want him to get information about this stuff from some YouTuber yep. or from social media influencer. I want him to hear it from his father. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And then and after we talk, we go see Thor, the Avengers, because we're <laughs> men. That is awesome. Yes. <laughs> I am... So excited right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, uh, Follow up here. What is preventing Catholic men from becoming the leaders God called them to be? I think lethargy, uh, spiritual Mm. laziness. Mm. Um, A lot of men have let the kind of women, because women have an innate spirituality because of the way they're created by God. They're life givers and life bearers by nature. Mm. And so they're very deeply emotionally spiritual, that kind of thing. Guys have to work at it, but guys have just abdicated their responsibilities. Let kind of the woman take charge of, of stuff. So they're not they're not being the priests in their homes anymore. And that and what happens they fall into is pornography, yep. which is also, is also you talk to exorcists. That's one of the doors that opens uh, the door in your life for demons to come in. So I think those two things are huge problems for men right now. Right on. And what is the best way for all those beatitudes out there to stay close to your work and follow you? 
Oh, t- <laughs> just, go, just go to deaconherald.com. Very Deacon simple. Oh, yeah, all awesome. the stuff's on there. My, and I've, I've 1,400 we'll YouTube videos, and so I got a, uh, everything's on there. That they, we'll put a link in the show yeah. notes. We've been bathed in formation here. Love your story. We're going to hit it hard on the Friday show where we talk about the Catholic response to racism. I'm so grateful to have you here. And for all of you Beatitudes watching, stick around for some incredible content to come with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. And we will also see you in the Eucharist. God bless. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us at our undersized table, subscribe to the video version of the show on YouTube by typing at, that's the symbol at, so shift and two on your keyboard, at the underscore Beatitudes on YouTube. We'll see you there. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.